Hi, this is Paul. And this is what I know as Food Truck Emily from Twitter. And <laughs> <laughs> she um, started, I don't know when, well, let's, let, let's, when did you first find me in this corner? You talked a little bit of that in your introduction video. Um, it was sometime this year. Okay. I was, you know, actually, you know, so John, uh, Jonathan Pajot had started talking about that hideous strength. Uh, so I went back and like read the trilogy and I had already been like reworking through all of C.S. Lewis stuff. And so, but I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And I harassed everybody I know trying to start like some kind of book club or something. And it just didn't take. So I scoured all the podcasts looking for something. And then I got on YouTube and I saw your video. And at first I, you know, cause it wasn't like high quality video or anything. Um, but then when you, but then you'd start talking, like as soon as you were talking about C.S. Lewis, I was like, you could just tell you were, you were drawing in from a lot of different things. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I, I like this guy. Well, then, uh, YouTube started serving me up more of your videos and I was like, oh, he listens to the same people I've been listening to. And so I started listening, but I. As soon as I discovered you had audio form only, I, I went over to podcast yeah. and I just didn't take the time to stop and realize that because you'd be mentioning people that had no idea who they were, you know, um, like people within the, the corner. And so finally, I just got curious enough that I went over to actual YouTube and um, I think I made like one comment on something and then you actually responded and I was like, oh, there's an actual person there. And um, yeah. And then I just got like kind of addicted, I guess. <laughs> How did you find Peugeot? Um, yeah. Through Jordan Peterson. Okay. And you know, what's kind of interesting is the first time I heard Peugeot, I was so put off by him because it was this episode where Jordan was in, was clearly in just, deep spiritual pain over his physical pain. Yeah. And I was so underwhelmed by his responses. And I was like, that's what a Christian has to tell somebody about their human suffering. Mm. And so at first I didn't care for him, but then over time I, you know, I started listening to him here and there too, you know? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get, let's get down to business. Now you've already sort of made a, a little splash yet. You didn't make a huge splash, which is interesting. I, I'm always, because the corner is, I, I think about the corner as sort of a conscious entity. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's just interesting to see how things happen in it. Because nobody is controlling it, really, contrary to uh, some people's imaginations. So let's go all the way back and let's do this Randos thing properly. Okay. Uh, tell me about the home you grew up in. Uh, well, hmm. By the time I was born, my parents are actually missionaries in Mexico, oh. um, but they got kicked out of the ministry oh. and it completely turned my family's life upside down. Oh. And so my parents had been um, converts out of like the Jesus movement. Yep. So like your whole thing about that movie, I found yep. really interesting because I recognize so much uh, out of that story. Yep. So um, it was really more like a power thing within yeah. the ministry. I think there was an insecurity in the authority and in the leadership. Yeah. And so these, some of these young guys who there was a lot going on with them. Yeah. My dad is a very, um, he's one of those, he's like you, he reminds me like you, but only an introvert. 
So everyone was opening up to him and mm -hmm. coming to him with their problems. And I yeah. think they felt his influence was too much. I, I don't know. He wasn't doing anything bad, you know, yeah. but um, they ended up sending him off to Mexico, maybe to, I don't know the full story, but maybe to get him away from, you know, the group. Okay. And then he, he kind of describes that the leadership flew down and interrogated him in the hotel room on his theology. He's a young believer at that point. And in the end, they decided that because he doesn't speak in tongues and that he must not have the Holy Spirit or I, I don't know what. So they just they kicked him out. And so here they were, you know, they're from southern Illinois, where the only jobs are coal mining and farming. My dad was a coal miner and my mom had been the daughter of a farmer. But my dad's actually was a musician and in a rock and roll band. So but that was the only work available. So here they are in Texas and no marketable skills three little kids, um, no community, their entire mm. lives fell apart. So my first memories of childhood were of just my mother having a complete breakdown in the middle of a store. That's my very first memory wow. was of my mom just breaking down, staring at a shelf. And I probably, she couldn't afford what was on the shelf. Yeah. I just yeah. imagined that yeah. was it. Yeah. Um, and so there was a real scramble to find work. And um, by the time I was four, they decided that my dad should become a truck driver. So he was gone all the time, except for one or two days out of the month. And he was putting my mom through school. So she's working and going to school. So, you know, maybe a typical lower yeah. income yeah. Uh, story of like the kids are kind of left to their own latchkey kids in the eighties. Yeah. And we just wandered around a lot. My older sister took care of us. Um, mm -hmm. She was very much the, the nurturing motherly kind. And mm -hmm. she was like really into literature and poetry and theater. So that was kind of like a lot of my influence then. Um, and then, you know, without, I'd say the protection of a father figure in the home, uh, I became very easy prey to my, my best friend's dad, my next door neighbor, he ended up being a pedophile. <laughs> um, and so that was like, a really bad start I'd say was in the middle of all this like falling apart of all the like community spiritual like everything happening in our family just there was just this pervasive loneliness that I felt like got exploited you know yeah and uh more than just the abuse itself I think the whole thing was traumatic and back then I don't think I don't think they did a good job with kids um you know, in counseling and stuff like that. My mom was afraid to even talk about it, that she'd yeah. make it worse. And yeah. I just had this deep sense of shame that I can't even describe. Like it was, uh, I felt 100% like it was my fault. Yeah. And I would say too, that's when I became really fixated on the idea of God actually. Mm. Um, my family wasn't at this point, my dad was super cynical. Couldn't even talk about God anymore. Mm. Um, and that, that lasted for a good seven years. And my mom was trying to kind of hold it together in a, in a sense, like occasionally yeah. taking us to church if she could manage, uh, yeah. there was just nothing real going on there. And I just felt this desperation for God to save me. And I didn't even know who God was or what that meant. Yeah. Um, so I had a real rough time in school. It was, I was very sick all the time. Like, I mean, it was now I know it's anxiety. Yeah. I was vomiting every morning before school. Um, yeah. I withdrew. I couldn't manage relationships with other kids. The teachers didn't like me. 
I was weird as fuck, like weird. Um, <laughs> I just, I remember actually standing in a hallway in elementary school and just, and I think I would sort of like dissociate a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and just looking at all around me and just thinking I'm not like anybody anymore, you know, um, the whole police police involvement was very traumatizing the the whole the year that the whole court situation happened i don't even i don't remember that entire year pretty much yeah so i must have just like blocked all of that out um so yeah um i think so somewhere around middle school so i had like i said just that shame that i could not shake and then i had a very bad relationship with my mother. It was very much, yeah. um, it felt like couldn't do anything right kind of situation. Yeah. And she's probably very Enneagram one, I think. I don't know if that means anything to you. But I, I've never done the dive into the Enneagram stuff. Yeah, well, so, me, me, Well, that's for another day. I'm not like in the Enneagram cult or whatever, but it's, it's helpful sometimes. Um, very much rules and Mm. not a lot of emotion there wasn't like a lot of feeling of connection and that comes a lot from her side of the i mean all the generations in my family are messed up unfortunately Mm. um yeah just not knowing how to handle stuff and uh anyway i i started you know self-mutilating and just started obsessing over um it's not like i was suicidal but it was on my mind all the time of Mm. that like, how long do I have to do this? You know, how long mm-hmm. is this life going to be? And I mm-hmm. felt desperate to get out and I couldn't really imagine it being better. So um, I prayed all the time. I remember just pretty much every night. And I felt like if I didn't pray, like I would wake up in the middle of the night to pray because I was afraid that if I wasn't mm-hmm. doing it all perfectly, that God wouldn't look at me or wouldn't save me. And I didn't even know what all that meant, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then my pa- my dad finally quit truck driving and he had another like whole life turnaround, came back to faith um, mm. and they started going to church. And so mm. here I've never really been really in a community of church and stuff. And um, and it's the first time I really started looking at the Bible. And you might get a kick out of this, though, because the you know, the thing during that time was Calvinism versus mm-hmm. Arminianism. Mm-hmm. I just remember coming into youth group and the pastor was constantly like drilling into us that we're, we're saved and we can't lose our salvation. And I'm just looking around at all these kids who've got, I don't know. I just thought they had bad, bad character. And I'm like, why do you keep telling us that we're saved? (laughs) I actually started reading the Bible because I wanted to argue with him. And I just remember him pulling me aside one day and just saying, you know, Emily, you're just really abrasive. And, um, I love him to this day. Like I still, I'm still friends with him, but he wasn't, he was not wrong. I was was like this 12 year old lawyer that came. I mean, I came with my receipts. I came prepared. I had a notebook full of all the scriptures I had found to say that it's not, I don't know. Um, And then when I was around 14 or 15, we got a call to my house and I remember where I was standing when this happened, it was a woman from, sorry, a woman from our church. And she was, she was a missionary from South Africa and she had called and asked to speak with me. And I remember my dad coming into the room with the phone and saying, this woman from church wants to talk to you. And she was in her twenties. So she was actually yeah. young. Um, 
So I'm like, okay. I answered the phone and she said, I know this is really strange and I don't know how to explain this to you. But every single time I've gone to pray for weeks now, all I see is you. She said, I don't know what it means, but can we spend some time together? And of course, no one, not my parents, no one knowing what I was going through. Yeah. Um, I still get emotional when I think about this because I was so lonely and so in so much pain. Mm. And it was the first time that I realized like God, God sees me. He knows that I exist. Like he's maybe he's heard me crying mm-hmm. out to him. Mm-hmm. And so I started hanging out with, she just brought me into this little like community of young people from YWAM. Mm-hmm. So she was from YWAM and it was this little group of misfits. I swear, like from all over and a lot of people mixed in, were doing school of the Bible. So there was just this really beautiful group of people that just loved on me where I was. And I, I went to, on, and during the summer to like one of their like I don't know if it was like a month long thing. And then you go to Mexico for like outreach. And before you go, it's like, they're doing all the teachings and, you know, seeing where all the kids are and spiritual development stuff. And I just felt like I'm waiting for something to happen. You know, when's this thing going to happen? And like, when am I going to be saved? Like, I didn't, you know what I mean? I had this idea. And there was one night where they were really like, they were really like leaning into the cross. Like they were, you know, going into gory detail and and all these kids. I just remember I'm in the back of the room and all these kids are like crying and wailing and like having this big emotional experience. And I just remember thinking, wow, okay. Like I must be really bad. Um, And I had this idea that you could be beyond saving like you've sinned beyond repentance like I don't even know where I learned that verse but I had it in my head mm-hmm. probably probably when I was doing all that research for Calvin's. <laughs> that's right <laughs> and so I had this idea in my head that I've I'm that bad and nothing's gonna happen for me and like mm-hmm. um I was devastated and that night I went and I got in my in my cabin and I, I got in my bed and I put the covers over my head I got on my face And I cried out to God that either save me or let me go because Mm. I can't live the rest of my life like this. And if you're not going to save me, then yeah, I just don't want to do it. Mm. And I had already kind of had an idea of like, when I thought I was going to give like a timeline, it's like something needs to happen or I did want to, you know, I don't even want to say it, but, um, and I don't know how to describe it, but since Martin Shaw could talk about it and and be weird about it, I will be too. Because what I experienced in that moment was nothing I've hardly ever experienced since. And Mm -hmm. that's like almost like a, it wasn't a voice, but it was like, it was not my own knowledge, Mm -hmm. something just divinely downloading into my mind. And it was okay. It was like, okay, you want to do this? Well, that's not what it is that emotion stuff is not what it is. This is, and clear as day, this is a marriage. This is a covenant. This is something that we're faithful to, even when those emotions aren't there. Mm. And then also immediately it was like, and you need to confess. And Mm. I was like, 
<laughs> and I, it, it was everything was right there, like everything that I needed to confess. And it was mm. bring everything that you're hiding in the darkness into the light. Mm. And so all of all of that self-loathing, even about the self-mutilating, which I was I was humiliated, even that I had that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the anger and the rage I had toward authority, like toward my mom, mm-hmm. especially at that time. Um that I needed to confess it in front of all these people that I'd only met a few weeks before. Mm. And so I did. Um, and I was shaking. I mean, I was just, I was, I had such bad social. Anxiety. So this wasn't just confessing under the covers. This was confessing to people. No, very explicitly. Like I was being told to take this from the darkness into the light. And that this involved me standing in front of people and speaking it out. Mm. Um, and that's, I was so terrified, but I was also so desperate that yeah. if, Seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. And I did. And I feel really lucky because there were some very mature, older mm-hmm. um, leaders around. Mm-hmm. And I stood up and I, especially saying out loud, like the stuff from my childhood and like that yeah. abuse, which I was humiliated by. Yeah. Um, and it's like, as soon as I finished, I erupted in prayer. I had probably never prayed in front of people in my life either. Mm. And I felt literally a physical weight come off of my body mm. and they immediately surrounded me and they like mm-hmm. all these leaders and they mm-hmm. prayed with me. And, um, and I can tell you from that time on, it was like a switch happened in me. I was a completely different person. Mm-hmm. I, I suddenly could understand the Bible for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was, all I wanted to do was understand or know God. Mm-hmm. Um, every book off of my dad's shelf, I just started picking up and reading. And st- I mean, even at one point I was 16 years old carrying around Charles Finney's systematic theology and like <laughs> this high school, carrying, I'm like, what was I doing? But my biggest thing was like, I knew I experientially had something had happened, mm-hmm. but I couldn't understand what it was. Mm-hmm. So all I really, I was reading about like atonement and, um, sanctification and you know and it wasn't too long after that that it's like yeah the actual problems of the faith come up that you need answers for yeah um so at this point i'm in high school i've had a horrible time all through school socially and everything i was eating lunch in the bathrooms and i didn't connect this until recently too just how providential this was but another person called and offered me a spot at this private school because I was a musician and they were trying to build up their music program. And it was a school we never would have been able to afford or anything, but I went from being like lost in the sea of children at this massive public school to being very seen and exposed and having like all my papers, which I was a great, I thought I was a great student, made really great grades without trying and then suddenly people are like scrutinizing my work. Um, turns out I couldn't write my papers off of spark notes anymore. Um, but the quality <laughs> of the education at the new place was yeah. like, this is where I, this was what leveled me up. And um, to a degree is that the stuff they were reading was Tolstoy yeah. and uh, Augustine yeah. Dostoevsky. Yeah. These three particular blew my mind. When I read Crime and Punishment, I felt like I was understanding myself. I was like, mm. his his insight into the human psyche is just yeah. amazing. Um, and then a, 
older friend was like, well, if you like that, you'd like Kierkegaard. And again, I'm, I don't even know hardly what I'm reading, but this is the kind of stuff that I was like, I was just insatiable. I was an avid reader and could not get enough. It's all I wanted to talk about. It's all I wanted to do with, you know, um, and even though all my peers were going to college, I felt like absolutely could not because all I wanted to know was truth. And I didn't really even know what that meant. I realized that the culture around me, um, I felt like I needed to figure out who I was and who God was outside of my culture, my identity and all that stuff. And I picked what I thought was the furthest away from that was like, I'm going to go to the motherland. I'm going to go to Africa. So I joined YWAM and went to Africa and I did their discipleship training school, um, Mm -hmm. in South Africa and Mozambique. And that was wild. Um, but that experience for me was so humbling because I had gone, you know, where you, I was very well-spoken. I could, I, you know, could talk theology. I could do all of these things. Um, but when rubber hit the, the road and I'm here, I've never witnessed that level of despair and poverty in my life. Yeah. Um, and I had no context in my understanding of God, my view of God and my understanding of the gospel. I had no context for that because yeah. I had this like Western idea, like you're going to do all these great things for God and yeah. you're going to it's self-aggrandizing. Yeah. But we were going to these townships where pretty much everyone had AIDS. They're living in like cardboard houses. They, I remember this one home, this was, this one particularly wrecked me because we go into this home and there are so many orphan children because all the parents had died of AIDS and there's this man, we're bringing groceries to him and we're going to pray for him. He's writhing on the ground in pain on a dirt floor. And the only thing I'm thinking is he doesn't even have a TV to watch. He doesn't have medicine. He doesn't have anything to take his mind off of his pain. Yeah. And I'm like, what? the hell am I doing here telling him about the what is the gospel to a man that's dying like this and what kind of prayer am I going to pray that means anything and I think there was like three days I could hardly get out of bed after that Um, I I nearly went home after that experience because I just thought I am just a stupid kid Mm -hmm. I have no answers I can't even fix my own problems what am I doing um so I, I had been kind of estranged from my brother at this time, but, um, we started connecting over email. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he was like, what's my sister doing in Africa? Maybe she's interesting. So we started talking. How, uh, um, age difference between you and your brother? Three years. Okay. Yeah. Um, he brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, it's funny. You were talking to somebody recently about like, to, no, no. Yeah. You encouraged one guy in Orlando to go to Germany to study. It's one of the things that my brother did too. Um, Anyway, and he was like, well, if you don't have anywhere to go after Africa, you're welcome to come to Austin. You know, and he was going to try and help me get a job at the hospital. I didn't know what else to do with my life, to be honest. Um, And so I come to Austin. turns out my brother was in the middle of like his, I'd had no idea what I was walking into. Um, I don't want to tell his his story on, you know. No, that's fine. Very bad situation. Um, and now then I understood maybe why he was reaching out for me to come. Yeah. Yep, yep. Wanted something to happen. Yeah. Anyway, he ended up having this major life flipping around, like 
mm. conversion too. Um, so then we were just like, and then we had met another friend and they just sort of like grew this sort of community, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so I'm out looking for work cause I have to pay, I was sleeping on a tile floor in Austin, um, had like maybe three sets of clothes to wear, <laughs> you know, that didn't really need anything. Um, and I didn't have a car, didn't have anything. And I'm walking around just picking up applications anywhere nearby to pay rent. And I was at this little local coffee shop and, um, there was a guy that there that overheard me that I'm looking for a job ultimately ends up being my husband. And he's like, I could use some help if you need some work, you know? And, um, <laughs> this sort of, it's so funny. Cause I was so backward and shy. Um, and he, there's a big age difference too. So he's like 15 years older than me. Um, anyway, I go over there and I see that, uh, he had a sandwich shop and I was, I went home and I was like, there's just no way that all my friends went off to college and are doing all these great things. There's no way I'm going to tell people that I'm working at a sandwich shop. Like what a failure. And as soon as I said that, I felt this massive conviction of like, who do you think you are? (laughs) You just, you just came from Africa where you saw people in absolute (laughs) abject poverty and you think you're too good to work at his. And I was like, okay, I'm taking this job. Um, Cause I felt like clearly my ego needs to die. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I went over there and it's like one of those things almost immediately we, my husband was a heavy smoker. He's like, and he can't stand for anyone to be working if he's not working. So every time he had a smoke break, he'd like make everyone go outside and sit with him. So annoying. Um, but we started talking and it was like immediately, like you start, you feel like you've known someone forever and you can't mm-hmm. stop talking yeah. it was like that completely platonic in fact we never dated like that's for later but we never dated um but we were just i was crazy about him he's so intelligent um and he was very interested in me like when he found out that i had been a missionary he's like i've never met an actual christian like he knows nominal christians or he knows people who you know it's it's like a religious sect or it's a Hmm. And so the kind, the level of conversations we were having, he was very interested in. And um, man, we spent hours and hours and hours and hours just like talking and um, we ended up becoming just incredibly close friends. And um, a lot of stuff happened around that time. Like uh, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So I had to go back home and just this whole time, by the way, spiritually, I'm just like, I have no idea what's happening with my life. I'm just going from day to day. You You're know? not going to church? Or do you... No, at this point I was not, mm-hmm. I was still devouring literature. I mean, um, I got really into like Watchmen Nee. I was trying to solve the problem of why Christian lives didn't look like I thought they should. Where mm-hmm. was the power? Where was the, yeah. Um, overcoming of sin. Um, I'm looking around at the church. I had gotten involved in a church uh, here in Austin. I was even on the leadership and it was just so hard for me. Like there's, I am the kind of person who like they, you know, you walk into a church and they have like a list of this is what we believe. And I'm like, I I can't tell, I can't tell you, I believe all that stuff. Like the hell do I know? And 
you know, one of them was even about the, um, what's it called? The, whether or not the Bible's like completely inaccurate or inaccurate. Oh, oh, inerrancy or infallibility. That one drove me really crazy. And I thought I was actually going to get kicked out of the church because I was like, well, what do you mean by inerrant? Like, what does that even mean? And, yeah. um, I don't know. I just, I just didn't feel like I belonged in church circles and every community group I was in, it's like, they're sitting around watching the bachelor. Like that was their idea of, uh, uh fellowship. <laughs> here I am. Here I am. Somebody who doesn't watch TV, doesn't watch movies. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I do all the disciplines. I'm like somebody who's fasting and praying and I wake up at five o'clock every morning to read, pray, you know, and then the thing is I, I was, even though I knew intellectually that it's not my own righteousness, I was definitely living. I definitely believed that it would. Yeah. I was that eager kid in the classroom who wants to impress their teacher. I wanted mm. God to call on me and I wanted to be worthy of him calling on me. Mm-hmm. And now I look back and I realize how much of that was just um, unhealed trauma mm. stuff. And also mm-hmm. just, probably an attachment disorder for my caregivers and stuff like that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I totally put on God mm-hmm. that as soon as feelings would wane, mm-hmm. I would feel like I was abandoned or rejected mm-hmm. so it was because I wasn't good enough and I wasn't trying hard enough. And it's because mm-hmm. of some secret sin that I haven't managed yet. So I was obsessively trying to like play whack-a-mole with every sin in my life. If I thought the tone of my voice when I talked to someone was too arrogant or something, I mean, I would just, it would devour me. I couldn't sleep at night. It was that bad. Um, long story short, uh, let's see. I, I, my brother ended up having a break, a breakdown. He had, he has some issues that have now been resolved again. I don't want to like right. stuff that was undiagnosed that we weren't aware of. And, right. but it just shattered my world because suddenly I was completely alone. Mm. I was, um, so I skipped the part about my husband and I getting him and asking me to marry him. It was one of those, like we hadn't dated or anything. He was just like, what do you think about us getting married? And I was like, okay. Um, and I think, <laughs> well, this is what I think happened is that to me, he, he is someone of like, when I say integrity, I mean like integral, like he is so like the unity of character. Mm-hmm. What you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. so safe he's deep he's um and i just felt like i felt so lost Mm -hmm. and so fragmented Mm -hmm. that i just wanted to cling to somebody that was whole and that Mm -hmm. seemed to know what they were where they were going Mm -hmm. and i think i made the i mean i know i made the right choice but i know that that was kind of my instinct was i'm not going to find anybody better than you and i think you're the only person that can tolerate my craziness um anyway so we had decided to get married and his, his, but his dad died and um yeah so all this stuff was going on around me and i just remember waking up one morning like i always did like five o'clock to go read and pray and it was like uh like the ceiling was just steel like the heavens closed up hmm. the words coming out of my mouth felt like lead like they just hmm like nothing. And I got up and I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. Hmm. I'm done. And it wasn't like 
um, I didn't necessarily feel like, I don't know. It's, I still get emotional thinking about it. Cause it was, it was like, it was so heartbreaking for me because mm-hmm. all of my identity, my entire life was that's, that was it. Mm-hmm. All my eggs were in the, that basket. I had yeah. no backup plan. Yeah. I never had even imagined myself as a different kind of pr- person. Yeah. Um, but I felt like I just wasn't going to be able to make the cut and that I wasn't good enough and that ultimately God had rejected me or something. I don't know. I couldn't even think about it. I couldn't open my Bible again. Um, and then I just kind of went into this uh, a dark night of the soul that lasted a really, really long time. Hmm. And um, yeah, so we, we got married, we had kids and, you know, during this time, even though I say like it was a dark night of the soul, there were, I think my last journal entry actually said, I've believed in the gospel of my right arm and my right arm has failed me. And wow, I would be driving down the road and unprovoked or whatever, this sense would come over me. And I would have like this visual in my mind of like being held by something that I wasn't holding on to. And it was almost like, Hey, you let go, but I didn't let go. Mm-hmm. So Calvinism is going to come back and bite me later on, you know, because I'm going to ultimately believe in the sovereignty of God. <laughs> <laughs> because, because at a certain point, I don't have a choice anymore. Cause like, yeah, I know absolutely that um, none of this has depended on me and my yeah. righteousness. Like I thought it would. Yeah. Um, and you know, this verse kept coming up and I know it's like, whatever, it's out of context and whatever, but it is the verse that always came up to me. It was uh, in Isaiah 6, 13, where it talks about like, even when everything is laid waste, but the, the seed, the imperishable seed is in the stump, you know? Yeah. And I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I knew what it meant mm-hmm. that I had been, everything was going to be torn down. And uh, like, I was going through a crucible but that that imperishable seed was untouchable and I couldn't destroy it. And, um, and so, yeah, I just felt like a seed buried under snow for the, the next long time until let's see, um, getting into my thirties and stuff. Wow. You made a, you did a lot in 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets, it gets worse. I'm just kidding. Um, so I had kids, but I was really a terrible stay-at-home mom. Felt all the only thing that kept me going actually is podcasts because I was so yeah. unstimulated. Yeah. Um uh, taking care of little kids, it's it's uh, yeah, it, it can be mind numbing. And so of course, I mean, especially before podcasts and things, there's a reason there's a reason certain moms look the way they did. Because oh it, it's I could it's not, not easy even hanging out with mom groups yeah. my husband, I remember would be like, you get to sit home and like have coffee with friends. And I'm like, friends, they talk about strollers and car seats and diapers. I'm like, I'm not having fun here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's like funny recently I read that this little book by, I can't remember his name. Ro- Rollheiser. I don't know what his name, Ronald. Anyway, it's called um, Domestic Monastery. 
Hmm. And it kind of gave me a little different perspective on the seasons of our lives, like where we think we're not doing spiritual work, but our ego has clearly gone to die. And I feel like motherhood's kind of where my ego has gone to die. Like you're constantly disrupted. You're not able to make something of yourself. You're never able to achieve something that feels successful to me anyway, especially as an ADHD mom, my house was always a mess. Everything's chaos. I just felt like, wow, I suck at everything. But you know, when my first was four months old, uh, we had, we had a restaurant, um, a manager called in sick and I, four month old, six o'clock in the morning, I get up and I take my baby with me to work. And I'm like breastfeeding while I'm taking orders. (laughs) I was like giving him naps three times a day in the restaurant. You're just doing whatever you have to do. Um, and I just was, I wanted a way out, but I didn't know how to get out. I was like, I mean, I just, yeah. So by the time I'm getting to 30, I'm having a midlife crisis of, I can see my future and my husband's always going to be working seven days a week. And I'm stuck doing this, working and dealing with the kids and failing at everything. And, um, so I started getting into like a really serious depression and I, I also had developed an autoimmune disease. And so I had gotten into like nutrition, trying to reverse it. And then finally, after like years, like I felt a little bit better, but I read this book called the last best cure. And she starts talking about EMDR and the mind body connection. And it's all, it was a science journalist who had interviewed all of the top researchers around it and seeing this connection between, um, adverse childhood events, like your ACE score and the likelihood of you getting certain disorders and they, it can predict it with uncanny accuracy. Right. And I just thought, whatever, whatever, I'll give it a chance, but I've like, I've done therapy. I'm so tired of talking about like my childhood. I don't want to deal with any of this stuff, um, anymore. And, uh, but I was like, I'll try it. I did an EMDR section. Have you ever heard of EMDR? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah holy shit it's weird stuff i mean you'd think what how's that going to do anything but actually we have a retired marriage and family therapist in the church and she she wound up that was the bread and butter of her practice for a long time i mean it's i thought it was woo-woo stuff yeah but it turns out that all these ancient practices that were connecting mind and body like we thought we're like too freaking smart um they knew what they were doing yeah um, and, and, you know, even what built up to this, I'd started doing yoga and I just felt like this body work and all the stuff that I was doing had, cause this, this comes up later. That's the whole, the only reason I'm really mentioning it is cause I was, had become sort of limber, like all the things. And one of my videos, I talk about how like ossified my heart had become toward, like I was fully inoculated. I've been there, done that. Like I did all the way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I just, I thought I was completely inoculated against really the gospel or Jesus ever again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I knew something really profound had happened to me, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I just couldn't look at it anymore. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just, all these things had sort of limbered me up and going into EMDR, I had this profound realization because you don't even really do a lot of talking, you know, and it's like a magic wand. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's I, pretty crazy. I had this explosion of like, first of all, I, for the first time understood that how, how insanely lonely I was as a child Mm. and how that loneliness 
and this insecure attachment that I had that I, you know, I started making, connecting all these dots in all of my relationships. I started seeing this, right? Like my fear of rejection is not just like a normal fear of rejection. Um, it's, it destroys me. Yep. And, um, yeah. And, and in the session, you know, I was able to look, basically communicate with my younger me and kind of heal that memory. I was able to mm. insert. Yeah. It's like cleaning a wound, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was able to clean out, debride that wound mm-hmm. and, uh, and let it properly heal over, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, so that was the beginning. And then I'm about to turn 33 and I'm thinking, man, things are getting better. I'm my depression's gone. Like, um, and then my husband has a heart attack and ends up having a quadruple bypass. And here I am now having like, we've got multiple businesses. My youngest was like two years old. And once uh, again, just feeling like I'm back into crisis mode, crisis mode, like seems to be the story of my life. Um, and that was around the time too, that um, we had a friend visiting from, Anyways, actually, the son of my dad's best friend from the ministry, who ended up becoming a hardcore atheist, like talk about mm. Dawkins, Hitchens, those guys. Yeah. So he's self-educated, yeah. worked with NASA. He was the superintendent of the um, observ- observatory at a major university. Um, brilliant P- you know, guy. They passed yeah. over PhDs for to put this guy. Like, so he's brilliant yep. and he's a brilliant atheist. Like, yep. um, So his son, though became interested in my dad and our family and started bringing his family to come visit on the summers. And so he was sort Hmm. of softening and his, you know, opening up and I was still closed off and we're having this conversation and he brings up, have you ever heard of Jordan Peterson? (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) This is too, this is like 2016. Uh huh. And I said, no. Um, and he was like, he just, I remember the look on his face. He looks at me. He's like, I think you'd really like this guy. So he sends me the link to his first interview on Joe Rogan. And I mean, I'm listening to this interview. Couldn't care less about that, that bill he was talking about. Really. It was all these other things that he talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, there was like this quickening, you know, Yeah. like something just like lurched in my spirit Yeah. and I didn't really know what it was, but I knew I wanted more. Yeah. And I joke about it, but if he says he has 200 hours of videos on YouTube, I watch 200 hours of videos on YouTube. We get to the biblical series. Oh my gosh. Like, so we get to Genesis. I wept. I wept through the entire thing right alongside Jordan. Um, In fact, I think I might be the only person who cries as much as Jordan Peterson. Um, And I just started. So my brother and I, and my dad, even like, my dad's really good at staying connected and always been able to talk to us, even though we were yeah. post-Christian, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my brother and I were like listening to Sam Harris, Eric Weinstein, you know, yeah. Daniel yeah. Schmalkenberger. Yeah. Like yeah. we were really into all this stuff yeah. um, for years. And so then you hear Jordan and Sam debating and it was like, I really like Jordan. I really like Sam, but now we're hearing these ideas. Yeah. Confronted, confronted. On stage with, with each other. Yeah. And it was like that inner battle that we were having too, being right there on stage. And it was like, who's, who's going to win and which side are we going to be? Whatever. Um, Jordan won out clearly, but um, there was definitely, I think that Jordan 
played this role in turning over the soil of my heart to such a degree that I was just, I was ripe for something to happen. Um, I started seeing the Bible from a different way. And the fact that he uses different language and the saying, this is how I feel with Verveke and this, and you, and, and now it's like John Mark Comer, for example, I actually feel the same way about him able to use language in a different way that does not just, you know, these barriers don't fly up to where you can actually hear it in a, you know, something in a new way. Um, so let's say fast forward now, my during COVID, all this stuff is happening and I, you feel things happening with people. They start having deeper conversations about things, the meaning crisis. And then, um, my parents get COVID mm. and they get over COVID, but my dad apparently had a secondary infection. He had pneumonia and they were hospitalized. And, you know, during that time you can't like communicate with them, right. whatever. Right. Um, we had no idea that my dad was dying. Oh, oh no. But, and my dad, I mean, like was my absolute best friend. He, oh. every, every morning it's like whatever podcast I'm listening to, like could not wait to talk to my dad about it. And so, um, and then like, so my last conversation with him, I should have known that he knew that he was, cause he was in and out of like coherency. He ended up dying of sepsis because they didn't treat because of all the weird stuff and never, you know, COVID right. patient. He was treated like right. a COVID patient. I don't know. Right. Just, they put him on remdesivir, which probably complicated it too. Anyway, um, we had this conversation and he just was like regaling his whole life. He told me his whole life story from the beginning to the end. And I was just gripped, you know? Um, and I kind of had this sense of like, he, it was, you know? Um, and then later I found out that like the night before he called my brother and they talked until like two o'clock in the morning. My dad just was like, Jed, listen, I need you to listen to me. And he told my brother the gospel. And he just mm. said, listen, he said, um, like basically no matter, I don't even know how he worded it. My brother would be better, but, um, he said, you, you just can't get away from Jesus, you know? Yeah. And then, um, yeah. So yeah, my dad passed away. It was very traumatic for our family. My mom and dad were like inseparable, like madly mm. in love to like the, to a disgusting point, you know, Oh, <laughs> uh, like, they just were mad about each other. Mm. It was uh, really bad. But so at his memorial, oh, and I didn't tell you this part, but because this is important for like eight years, my dad had been trying to convince me to go to North Point. Mm. And that's a church. Yes. His selling point on this was you can come as you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your faith or whatever, or lack right. of like, we've got atheists there. We've got agnostics. We've got right. speakers. We've got all kinds of people you will be welcomed. And, and he just said, I just wish you could get involved with the music because mm. in my youth I had done, I was a worship leader for years. Um, and so I went with him like once to, and first of all, I had like such an allergic reaction to church at this point. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's just, it hurt. It was physically painful to be in a church. Um, and then I'm looking at the music and you're in Austin, Texas. I mean, the singers are like from The Voice and American Idol. Mm. And these are like, they have albums. All these people have out, they're professionals. And I'm like, mm. dad, I've barely played guitar or sung in 15 years. Like it's never going to mm. happen. Um, but for eight years, he was on me about that. Mm. So 
at his memorial. My dad was a songwriter and I sang a few of his songs. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, like the worship, (laughs) the music director at the church was there. And weeks later, I get a call inviting me to um, come hang out in his studio. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm thinking he's being nice because my dad worked on the soundboard and he's just trying to like reach out and be nice or whatever. And I go in thinking I'm in there for a rehearsal. And then we just talk. And Mm -hmm. it was so awkward. I like, I don't even know. I probably said such I don't even know. It was so awkward. And I was in such the throes of grief. Yeah. Um, I think I said so many F words because I'm like not trying to like it was not even <laughs> trying to like. Um, and uh, and they were both like really introverted and like uh, anyway. And then like I leave and I get in the car and I'm like, the fuck was that? Why? Why did I just come here and have this conversation with these people, you know? And then they invited me back again. And this time they're like, let's sing a song. And I just, I froze. I was like, yeah, I can't do this. And I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I don't want to, why are we singing? (laughs) And it was, it was so bad, Paul. Like I still like my stomach hurts when I think of, I'm so embarrassed, but I'm about to leave. And he stops this guy, the music director, he stops and he's like, Emily, do you ever do you think that things happen for a reason? And I look at him and I'm like all cynical. And I was like, well, it depends on what you mean by that, I guess. And he said, well, I don't know how to explain it, but you just keep coming up. And it's like, as soon as these words come out of his mouth, I'm immediately taken back to like 14 year old me. Right. And I felt so apprehended by God in that moment and it had nothing to do with, because he was inviting me to do music with them. Right. He just said, I feel like we're supposed to do music together. Yeah. He had no idea that my dad had been telling me this for eight years. Yeah. He didn't know any of the stuff that really was going on with me. Yeah. And I just remember freezing in that moment. It was like, God just grabbed a hold of me. And it was like, the time in the wilderness, whatever that is, it's over. We've got work. We've got stuff to do. Let's go, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was not, I mean, that was wild because no one in my life knew knew me ever as a Christian. So I had to sit down with each one of my friends because they were like, why are you going to church? <laughs> and I was like, well, you're um, not just going to church. You're oh, up no, on stage at a really big church. Yes. Yes. Um, and also it's like, there was all this stuff happening inside of me. So especially my closest friends, I had like the, these sit down conversations and, you know, I'm expecting them to be like, yeah. you've lost your mind. Instead, they're like, can I go with you? Mm. And suddenly I have all these people in my life that were interested, are interested in God and Jesus. And like, they've yeah. never really heard the gospel. And so yeah. all this stuff. Started. And then my brother ends up having this like massive turnaround again, too. I'm telling you, like, if you asked me if my brother, he was, I never called myself an atheist. He, he would have considered himself like that. Yeah. Um, so for him to, I mean, it's, it's wild. That's why I say I now believe in the sovereignty of God because when I was not going after him, uh, yeah, <laughs> completely cha- changed my life back around. Um, and this, like the last part of this really is that 
um, doing the music, it was like such a trigger for me. And, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of IFS, internal family systems. Yeah. It's a form of therapy too. Yeah. Also, yeah, it's like yeah. it's like where you kind of deal with the parts of yourself. Like you are not, you are like a community of parts. Yeah. Um, and that each one of these parts is there for a reason to like protect you or whatever. Um, but he has this language where he talks about like it's not he doesn't use the word trigger, he uses the words trailhead. And mm. I said I couldn't sleep. I was complete, I was just wrought with anxiety. Um, like what the heck am I doing? I am not good enough. I'm such a fit. I was embarrassed. I felt like I sucked so bad. And I, I'm, I just didn't want to do it. Now I, I with, with this, are you playing music that they're picking for you? Or do you have a degree of leeway over your no, picking? None. none. And I still, and like, no, they, no, I no, which, up, which none? I don't they assign, No, they assigned me. Oh, okay. 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 Um, and so you're a performer in that sense, rather than a leader. Yes. Yes. And okay. it's so, it's so that's different. an important distinction in a context like this. Absolutely. And it's also part of my current ongoing crisis that I'm okay. working through okay. is what it means to be part of a church in this context. Mm. If, uh, often, you know, we talk about authenticity, like yeah. uh, me managing that is sacred to me. Yeah. That is like, that's something I, I just will not, I cannot, uh, I cannot stand up there and perform. I can't. It, so when my younger years, like through YWAM and these things, I was definitely a worship leader. I have a catalog of songs that I know, and we will be in these hours long prayer and yeah. talking, sharing kind of situations. And I would be like, dude, like being led by the Holy spirit, like songs yeah. would come up yep. and, yep. um, you really depend on a sort of, I hate to use like the religious language, but you, you really depend on a certain anointing. Yeah. 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 Um, and so now, now getting feedback about my stage presence or yeah, yeah, it's a real struggle. Um, so there was all that going on. And anyway, I just felt like I was having a nervous breakdown Yeah, and, uh, I was like, I don't know what's going on. I tried to get into emergency therapy because I thought I thought I was actually losing my mind. There was one night that my husband held me. I was crying hysterically for hours and he held me just praying for me for like two hours straight because mm. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown because it's all mingled in with the grief. And yeah. like, you know, you're in this emotionally very, um, everything is just so turned over, you know? And all of these things that I've worked my whole life to not have to face are now like I'm facing them. So why did about, you like, agree to do this? Why? Yes. I don't know. Well, first of all, it's like in that moment, it was, uh, it was your father. Like it, well, it's partly, and it's also, um, you know, I've always said that during worship or like what I was, what I was a part of doing, like when I was younger or music in general. Yeah. So like I, even so when I left like that, like, I don't know what do you say left the faith. How do you say that? I don't know. I don't know when I was in the wilderness. Cause it's really, it's really hard to figure out how to say a lot of, of those words. In terms feel, of, yeah. And those words or phrases feel right. They feel really trite and empty and I don't know what to say, but whenever I left all that stuff, I lost music too. That's it was like, I, my enjoyment and music was so much in the actual 
worship and the yeah. whether not whether it's religious music or not there was something right. why my dad described it as like he felt the delight of god on him when he would sing he was he led worship too you know and that's exactly how it felt like there is something that happens inside of me that feels like the warmth of God is all around me and I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and so that's what I was, you know, saying yes to. And it felt like it was felt like it was designed for me to just like a door just opened for me to just walk right into, you know, and it has been great, but I think part of, part of what happened is it was used to really, there was so much healing that needed to be done still. Mm. And so, like I said, like this trailhead, analogy worked very well for me because I felt like I I was having these panic attacks, which I've never had in my life. I had to pull over the side of the, on the side of the road. I thought I was having a heart attack, um, crying all day long, like couldn't figure out what's going on anyway. And then, so this idea of the trailhead, it was like, okay, there's something there. And if you decide to go down that trail, yes, it's like, it feels like it's going to destroy you. Cause that's what I was afraid of. But it's also the source of the deep, profound healing that you're longing for. And I just had this, there was this one moment I had been reading like Gabor Mate and all these things. And there was one page on there that just struck me one day. I'm sitting on my couch reading and it just hit me all of a sudden that I have never known the unconditional love of God. And see, I still get emotional. Sorry, I told you I cry more than Jordan Peterson. Um, and I just realized that every person needs to have that. As a child, they need to know there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. to be loved more or to be loved less. Mm-hmm. And from such an early age, I had experienced such a, such a massive amount of shame and guilt and sense of unworthiness and unloving mm-hmm. un- lovableness, whatever, yeah. um, that I just didn't, I couldn't shake the rest of my, all those decades. And I was always trying to justify my existence by being good enough or winsome enough or agreeable enough or likable enough. Mm. Um, and it, I, I, like, as I'm reading that page, I just, I've had this profound sense of the deep love of God that I'd never known before. And that sense of like, this time you're not a little girl that's alone and neglected, but you're, you have a community around you. And this time, like I'm going with you and that's where the healing is going to come from, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that was, yeah, I've had like three maybe experiences in my life, but the the initial one, when I was like 16 EMDR, and then that one that was so, um, yeah, life-changing, you know? And, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I am now. And I've just been trying to sort out my relationship to church. Well, that's where you are now. So you didn't talk about getting out of getting off the stage at North Point because that's I mean, that's that's a that's a moment too. Because you have to you got kicked off or you quit. Oh, oh, North Point? Yeah. Oh no, I did not get in fact, it's kind of interesting because like I went in the beginning, I'm sort of just 
I would be coming like once, um, once every three months sometimes, like just okay. radically. And every single time I think, okay, I've, I suck. And I'm for sure. That's the last time I'm doing this. And I wanted to be fired. Like, and then what happened was all of the main, um, group yeah. left altogether. And then guess what? I'm like the only person left. <laughs> so it was me. all the worship leaders left. Yeah. Yeah. It's I I don't want to like no that's okay you don't have to go into details those things those things wreck <laughs> videos Tush, trust me I did or at least they wreck the they they make great videos but the, you can't put them on YouTube so <laughs> no I mean and you know it was nothing like there was nothing or no, nothing right. bad there was nothing scandalous at all right, it's just right. it's just church stuff you know yeah yeah um, it, it's it's sometimes the combination between church stops stuff and people with artists temperaments oh, because you nailed it. These <laughs> churches, church, these mega churches become these massive institutions that are experienced delivery machines. And they need artists to deliver the experience to people. But artists are are these, you know, there's there's you know authenticity. You have this level that there has to be congruence on the inside and the outside. And so oh, you, it's you a, nailed it, Paul, yeah. because so as soon as it happened, I went scrambling into fix it mode. And I'm like, I scheduled meetings with like the leadership of the church. And I, I just was saying, listen, I know I'm an outsider. I know I'm just a random person that comes in and out on the stage. But I really think you guys should think about the fact that in the leadership, there's a tendency to want to control everything. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's, I mean, you've got to be these type A people that it is like, that thing is flawless. I mean, they have oh, it. Oh, yeah. And it's so, but you know, when you have all that structure, it gives you the space for, you know, to relax into it. Yes. Um, but then I, I just said, you know, the thing that this guy did so well was he, you know, he's dancing on that border between order and chaos. And when you, when you try to control that, you're going to lose the magic because the magic is on that dance between order and chaos. And yeah. especially when it comes to things like, those um those spaces in the sunday morning experience that are yep yep i mean because i i hear it all the time i have people come up to me all the time telling me that what's happening inside of them it, during the music it's, it's way more impactful than the message oh yeah 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 and so i'm yeah. like you can't discount that and if no. you try to over manage right. um that part you're gonna lose the magic you right know? Which so, makes the oh the oh gosh there's a there's there's a whole there's there's so much in that whole area in terms of mega churches and really in many in most cases in many cases the 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 psychotechnology that energizes the mega church movement is mass worship as we call it and it's yeah. so deeply tied to music and then the relationship between that and this religious industrial complex that is trying to affect yeah. I mean and you just said you know it's the order chaos thing and 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 that's why I asked immediately were you a performer because this because churches and, and this then gets into the question of what exactly is a church is a church this community of Christ that is going to have all of this raggediness, which in, in which cases things in a church can get really raggedy. 
yeah. which is, and, and then people who are coming in, because part of what Americans want from institutions is again, this restraining of chaos because individual people. So if you kind of take people in and you kind of govern them and you create an institution, you sort of try to stabilize that so you can deliver on expected outcomes. And, but the expected outcomes that you want the church to deliver on is, is not a, you know, is a, is there's wildness built into that. And if you, if you wring the wildness out of it, it's dead. And now exactly what I was about to say, it's, you know, uh, this goes back again to like things that Martin Shaw and, uh, what's the other guy? There's Martin Shaw and this other guy that have similar, they're very Paul Paul Kings North. Yes. Um, the idea of like the rewilding and it's like, we have, I think overly, (laughs) we have just overly it's, it's so neat. And the thing is like all the things that we need to happen don't happen in that neat space. And yeah. so I don't know, I, I've, I don't know the answer for it. So, well, there is no answer for there it. Is because, no answer. And, and I loved how Martin Shaw in that conversation basically says, we got to talk about this wild thing. And then he ba- basically goes and says, you know, he, 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 blew up my life. He blew up my finances. He blew up my, you know, it just, he blew up everything. And, and there is, and Lewis, you know, tries to get at this with Aslam is not a tame lion, but it's, it's also, and of course I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark. I'm preaching in the gospel of Mark right now. And that wildness in the gospel of Mark is so tangible that, I mean, Jesus Mother and brothers come to him to try to, you know, <laughs> okay, okay, it, Jesus. <laughs> I think we've had quite enough of this, okay. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you have absolutely no idea how stranger this is going. And then, and the fact that you know, Mary and James come around in the end is a, is a testament to truth. But you know, part of what's powerful about your story is that it is so wild and. That is a that is a big theme in. Uh, it, it's just it's just so hard to talk about because people are so diverse, and there are there are really wonderful, serious, genuine Christians who have deeply orderly faith and life. That that is just true. And so you can't say, unless I see the wildness, it's not authentic and true. No, you can't say that. That's how wild it is yeah. that you can't just say, well, this is chaos. No, it's, it's, you know, right. anyway, I'm I sorry. See, I, mean, I interrupted. Thing, I, I, no, you didn't interrupt. I mean, that's, this is so much of what I've wanted to talk to you about since I first ever saw your videos yeah. too, because the question that I have is like, I mean, and I don't think it's necessarily answerable. And, and also I will say, one thing that I gravitated to your channel for is like, you have such a lightness about you. Like, um, it doesn't seem to ruffle you like things that to me, I just, I don't want to say it's like, I doubt, or I become, I feel like this urgency, like I need to figure this out. And, and you just, you're able to laugh about it. And just like, you notice it, you observe it and you're like, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect you. Whereas I become like, this is a problem and I need to, no, I need to understand it. I need to get my mind around it. And like, you're okay not having your mind. So whenever I would listen to you, I would like, I could just feel my nervous system calming down, you know, like, 
I'll be so shaken by things that are happening in the world. And so my real question is like, what does it mean? And it's always been my question. What does it mean to be a believer, a follower of Jesus of Nazareth in this world? What does it mean to be the church? Um, what is our function? What is our role? Like, um, and as you know, like all like current events and, and politics, and this has been a problem in my life for a long time, because it's not the first time stuff like this happens. It's like, I, all of these things sort of intersect, like the Christian nationalism, yeah. um, intersects on my, my practical life, yeah. you know, yeah. um, part of my husband, like he would never say he's a Christian. He'll, he would never, cause he has this whole like anti being colonized. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I love that phrase because it's, it's everything. Yeah. And he doesn't like, if he thinks I'm trying to colonize him, yeah. I'm trying to make him use, yeah. use these exact words that I want him to say. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not going to do it because I know what happens when people, you know, yeah. get too much into their groups. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, so like, even at North Point, like there's been this massive growth, very sudden too. It's like, uh, so many people coming in. And so all my thing is like, well, what are we going to do with all these people? Yeah. We can't like Sunday morning is not good enough. And yeah. so enter in jo John Mark Comer. So I discovered John Mark Comer because uh, we we did like one of his books in my group and I never buy those. Did books. you send me that video? A bunch of people, a few people okay. sent me that video. So I sent you a video a long time ago of him talking about, he talks about the um, a community and the culture of outrage. And then he does oh. community in a something it's always like he uses the alliterations but something political polarization oh, okay and his take on it was just like it's like looking for something that transcends it you know because yeah. when you get into it it's super muddy and it's super it's like cotton wool like you just can't parse things out and people just become so ideologically possessed there's yeah. no conversation yeah and i feel like a real a real Christianity, a real following the way should be able to transcend it, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And it's hard because as soon as I try to have these conversations with people, it's like, I, even if I'm so careful about what language and what words I use, um, it's just like you've activated their political system. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like one of these movies where there's a bomb that has to be, you know, you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to deactivate this bomb and there's all these wires and, and it's like, Hmm, is it the green wire or the red wire? But which, you know, which word am I using? That's not... <laughs> well, that's that? where I feel like I, I get that same sort of imagery around like Verveke because it's like, Oh, he's got a right. He'll just invent words. We'll just invent words. I'll tell you what those words mean. And you just have to experience it to figure out what it means. And, uh, <laughs> that's how we're that's how we're going to do this new world thing because uh, i don't necessarily see a way around it <laughs> you know yeah there's no way around much of anything actually it's you know it's the aa aphorism there's you know the only way past is through i mean that's that's the way it is in this world and that's and in many ways that's the point of the cross uh, yeah. and that's the point of gethsemane where jesus is basically asking is it is it really true the only way forward is through and the answer is yes <laughs> and that's why you must die and um you know your, your point about 
I mean, what is it? What is a what is a Christian? I mean, I I still hold to my definition. A Christian is someone who trusts Jesus more than they trust themselves, and um, it's 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 really hard to trust Jesus. I mean, to because oh, you know, trust Jesus, yada yada yada. But then it's trust Jesus with this, right? And 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 of course, again, the cross is at the center of it because. I have to. I have to trust the Father, <laughs> and and a lot of. I, it's so funny because I once I was talking about the resurrection, and and people are like, and I say, well, you know, we have this we have this example that Jesus actually goes to death and comes out the other end, and and people are like, yeah, but he knew he was going to be raised, and it's like, you know, what <laughs> you're just not. That's. In many ways, you you do have to sort of immerse yourself in the Jesus of the Gospels. And this Sunday, I preached on one of my favorite stories with the woman. Listen, with the, yeah, it's one of my favorite. I listen yeah. to. I listen to all your sermons, Paul. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so it's, you know, and and I think, I think part of the modern. Well, it's not just modern. We. This is an issue with church too. We tend to want, we have all these different ways of trying to avoid trusting in Jesus. And that's mm -hmm. the idol making thing. So we'll turn the church into an idol. And I think part of the reason the church is always messed up is that's part of the way that God helps us not make it an idol if at all possible even though we make all kinds of things into idols because how can you i was just listening to the the front and i haven't i haven't been i haven't got the whole thing yet but um andrew sullivan talking to justin briarly um andrew sullivan had justin briarly on his podcast and you know andrew sullivan was talking about the the fact the fact that it was his archbishop at the heart of the pedophile scandal and it wasn't just him covering it up. It was, you know, and, and there's, there are a few, you know, there are a few things in life that are just as clearly evil yeah. as molestation of children. And then to have this at the heart, you know, and, and, and so then Andrew Sullivan talks about the fact that he, he had to get over this in order to somehow stay in church and and to a certain degree as as clergy as a minister on one hand the that there's a there's a practical idolatry that you have with the church in that you you want it to be but it's you want it to be great but it's so self-interested because you're so deeply a part of it then there's another part of it where as clergy you see how the sausage is made and you really have to be careful with cynicism because and, and i i don't know much about john mark comer but the you know people have been sending me tidbits since i made that little video about him and and when i, I heard bits of it in that one interview when he starts talking about small church because that's right um in, in that at least with a small church i mean I, I, people are always say well if i came to if i lived in sacramento i would come to livingstones and i just laugh <laughs> because 
Living Stones is so raggedy. It's so almost dead. It's so uncool. And that's part of the reason I keep putting the Freddie Freddie and Paul show up because it's like you you if you if you can't stomach 20 minutes of the Freddie and Paul show, you're gonna really struggle with an hour of Living Stones. <laughs> <laughs> because um, but that's but it's amazing how many people do love the Freddie and Paul show. Yeah, yeah, there's a few hundred people that watch that <laughs> sucker every week. It's probably it's probably a bigger number than people dip in, but but it's but this is I mean so many no it's so many. Every idol has to die in your relationship with Jesus. It's just yeah. the way it is. And Jesus will I mean and your your story nicely so oh this this is it and what this is in every case is something that I can trust in instead of Jesus. Mm. And it'll whack that down. So, yeah. mm. And no, maybe this, maybe if I do this, I don't really need to trust Jesus. It'll whack that down. Well, and, that's, and that's what I feel like. I came to this point where I even knew, like, so it, I knew that everything had to fall apart because it was built on the wrong foundation yeah. and that it necessarily had to fail. Like even yeah. my own, my all of my religious construct, like all of my, I had built up this like whatever profilicity, this profile yeah. of a really good Christian, oh. but it was all built on the sinking sand. And so like I had that sense. And then also it's funny because I've had so many experiences too of like, and I thought someone I really looked up to, but then like, and someone commented on the sex. I, I never like went into it because I was like, I, it's too much to say in a YouTube comment thread, but like it's gotten to that point where I I don't put my, you just don't put weight. You don't put weight on that. You know what I mean? Um, because you know that people are absolutely going to fail. They have to. And then I wanted to say something too about Jesus in Gethsemane and whether whether he knew, because this is something that's been playing in my mind a lot, was whether or not Jesus really, how much Jesus really knew, right? Yeah. And I had one day this thought that it seems to me and when I reread the gospels through this lens, it's made, it's still held and it made sense was that Jesus was what it would be like to be fully human and fully reliant on the Holy spirit, right. Or by the spirit of God to live. Cause it almost felt like sometimes in his interactions, like he was like, even at the, at the last uh, supper, you get this idea that he's like, one of you is going to betray me. Like he got that sense in that moment. And, uh, you know, just like he had to dis demonstrate that for us, yeah. what it meant to live and to face, uh, life yeah. yeah, yeah, and to face human suffering and to bear up your cross. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though like absolutely everything in all of your reason and all of your logic tells you that this is com a complete fail. It's stupid. Look, nobody's with you. You're the only one doing this stupid, crazy thing. Um, but kept going, you know, and like, yeah. all you have to do is read the book of acts and you know, I, I, that's wild. Like the book of acts, every time I read it, I'm like, I forgot about that part. Like, that's yeah, wild. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you just see the kind of certainty that they had. And even Paul, like, but, yeah. you know, and, and Tim Keller, he'll talk about what it means to like commit your steps. And he's like, to commit yeah. your steps, meaning you put all of your weight on that step, yeah. believing that it's going to hold you up. Yeah. And, uh, and like, that's, you know. Yeah. But for everything, there's also a, 
there's there's a shadow idolatry to it and and you see that with the believism mm -hmm. where it's okay so if we're, we're always looking for these we're always looking for these substitutes so if i if i really really believe and it's like well now you've just put your belief in believism <laughs> and it's it's always it's always got to be in jesus and in mm -hmm. him alone and and what's so amazing about it, it, so we've got of course in this little corner um you know we've got every of course we've got sam sam the unitarian and we've got <laughs> jacob the um J jacob the very interesting I, I don't even know how to describe jacob's judaism because it's just kind of weird but you've the the we imagine we can get into jesus head and it's like i don't even know my own head and i'm going to somehow it's i'm going to somehow transcend 2000 years and get into the head of the god man and make and and i think the reason that that Orthodox Catholic Christianity, small or Orthodox, small C Catholic Christianity arrives at, you know, the Trinity and the doctrine of Christology is it just kind of put boundaries on there. And to say, you know, once you make him not God, something of this falls apart. And once you make him not man, something of this falls apart. But if you think you can sort of, you know, find the formula for this, you know, now you've got another idolatry. And so it's the, the the basic, the most basic level is trust. And that's where, of course, Gethsemane, you know, if Jesus can be surprised, now whether or not, you know, you, you, you just go round and round these things, but Jesus was surprised by this woman that sneaks up and, and pickpockets a miracle out of his cloak. Mm -hmm. Um that was another yeah. example of what I like what I was saying. He he seems genuinely surprised. Yes, you know? yes, yes. So it's and 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 then with the church too, you've you've just got to live with these uncertainties. And and the only way to live with uncertainty is trust. And that sounds crazy because wait a minute, trust is the opposite of uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think trust, though, it acknowledges the uncertainty and it does it anyway, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's and that's so often. Because I think the uncertainty is also part of the posture, the proper posture of man before God is like, what do we know? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, a part, it's just a part of like, I, I'm just a man <laughs> and or yeah. a woman in my case, I yeah. guess. So, so you found Peterson and then you found Peugeot and then you found the corner and, um, and now you're, uh, are you, are you going to church anywhere now? Or are you just kind of, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still leading worship at North Point. Are you really? Yes. Oh my. <laughs> and it's, I mean, you know what? It's so interesting. Cause I've always been so cynical about church and something I, I just have grown so much love for these people and I honestly, I feel like it's it started out just like it's an obedience. I felt very strongly that I was supposed to just start going to church somewhere, start mm -hmm. building community. Yeah, I joined a women's group and I have like all, I mean, it's a lot of older women. I absolutely yeah. love being around yeah. older women. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, they're hilarious. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I'm just sort of like. They're done playing certain games. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. 
and they're so different and it's just, I, I just love it. We have yeah. all kinds of people at that church too, by the way. So I that kind of it. keeps it fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, believe even it. the leadership, it's like, they're probably going to see this too. I imagine because I, I send out like PVK videos, like they're candy. Um, I'll be like, have you seen this? Have you thought about this? Because they're always dealing with all the complexity. Yeah culture what's going on in modernity and because yeah. they have this huge flux of people coming in that are bringing in all these ideas and they're trying to sort it out too yeah and so i'll share you know with them stuff that you anyway so they're very they're familiar with you um but no i i love them first of all they're very they're genuine um they definitely care and they do things in a different way i don't know i mean but yeah. I think that they regret ever giving me their cell phone numbers. <laughs> and I kind of joke. This is another thing. I'm going to say this, even though I know they might see this. Um, it's like, you know, they'll bring in like so, a lot of, in a lot of ways, like here in Austin, the way the music, like worship teams and stuff, it's like hi- a lot of hired hands. Yeah. 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 It'll be like gigs for some people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like they'll bring someone in who's never sung at the church before, whatever. And that person, like they speak between songs, you know, yeah, and whatever. Yeah. They don't let me say a word. Never. <laughs> like, and it's so, it's so obvious. Like anyone else will be given a speaking role except for me. <laughs> and, and you can't help but wonder. And I don't want to ask because I think at a certain, like, maybe I just don't want to know, like, I don't want to even know what the answer to it would be. I've let it go. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I mean, it's not like I'm just, I'm anxious to talk to, you know, whatever either, but you wonder like, because we had, so we had estuary yesterday and someone brought in a, someone brought in a situation where the week before he's talking about a situation at work where we at last two estuary meetings, we've been talking about public lies Public lies are very interesting things. And so here at this work, one of the issues was right now, this is going through the state of California because well, you live in Austin. So again, another state capital. So a lot of, you're basically California now. Yeah. So a lot of state Californians. So, so basically the word came on high that, you know, everything's been, you know, um, remote work and now people are going to have to be coming into the office, blah, blah, blah. And, but they had sold off a whole, the state had gotten rid of shut a whole bunch of office facilities yeah. because of COVID and we're not going to everyone, but anyway, so, so this went out and in this particular department, a whole bunch of people knew there's nowhere near enough places in that building for all of us. And this, this isn't going to work. And then, so this person was talking about, you know, why, why does the organization lie like this? And then. The, he comes back the next week and says, well, it was really amazing because they basically admitted that there's not enough room for this. And, you know, and 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 it was like this moment of fresh air where the organization kind of told the truth and, you know, somebody opened the windows. It was like, ah, and then someone comes up with another thread and just, you know, rips through and then ah, got to lock it down again. And and it's it's. The, the difficulty is always just like you say, you got to run this chaos and order thing. But when you're doing it as an institution, it's so much trickier. And so then you have these public lies and, and it's, oh, it's, that's why I'm so happy. I am in a, I am in a small church that no one, no one, 
you know, I, we are, well, our, our things are little. I know. Well, it's like, you know, John Mark Homer, even cause like I, I did the same thing with him. Like I did with everyone. If someone says something interesting, I want to hear like what they're about. And I take like yeah. a large sample of their, what they have to say. Yeah. Um, and he, he, his whole, by the way, like, this is what I would love for you to look into because this is what I'm looking at now is his whole, the, his new book is called practicing the way that's his, his nonprofit organization. And it's like going back to the basics of just like apprenticeship to Jesus. And in one of those interviews with that same carry guy, um, an old one, he said that, it, that he would never church plant again. And he said, I don't know what I would do. He goes, but the whole, like the theater of church, I don't think is where it's at. And he said, I really think it needs to be people basically um, at a table together. Yeah, You know, it needs to be people coming together, practicing the way together. Yeah. reinforcing um and like the whole thing of practicing the way is just creating the space in your life for god to be doing things you know it's it's a resistance against the spirit of our time against uh, the world the flesh and the devil you know it's putting up those boundaries and those resistances in your life that actually give you the space for actual life transformation um and doing that work together with other believers and helping each other along um Anyway, his work is really fascinating, but whenever he said this about what we do on Sunday morning is so much theater, I'm like, it absolutely is. And it's really hard for me when I was young, when I was a brand new believer, read the New Testament for the first time. I just was like, this doesn't look at, this is, looks nothing like what I expected this to look like. And it's funny. I remember being in like middle school and they made the mistake of doing that financial presentation during Sunday service. <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys ever do that, where you give like the financial health of the church and what's oh, our growth and what's our they strategy do it during the Sunday service. Yes. And I was there, I was present. And of course, like the first thing I did, cause I was such an annoying child, like so annoying, seriously annoying. I went to all the elders or the deacons. And I wanted to, I wanted them to defend this idea of a church being in debt in order to build buildings, because I was like, what is church? Is it the building? (laughs) I'm telling you, I was so annoying, Paul. Uh, Anyway, um, but it's true. It's like, you think about it, you get into this massive debt and then it's like, you have to justify the existence of this building and whether or not God shows up, whether or not anything is really happening in this building, you still do this thing every Sunday. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, so you weren't, you weren't at the channel yet. If you go back a year or two, I did a, I did a conversation with James Wellman, who is a professor in university of Washington, sort of a sort of a a guy who's what well, he's a he's a he's sort of a refugee from the death of the mainline and he's an interesting guy and he wrote a book high high on god which he studied the mainline he studied the um he studied the megachurch movement and and the conclusion of his book was really rather startling to me because he says actually this movement does a tremendous amount of good in the world and so i you know, you talk about me not getting flustered. Well, maybe it's because I'm old. 
It's because I did the foreign missions thing and I did the mega church thing. Not that I pastored a mega church, but I was very much in terms of church planting and, you know, this was our goal and we were reading all the books and we're doing all that stuff because the denomination in the 1990s was like, Christian Forum Church has to jump on this because this is going to save us. And it's just a, just a failure for the most part. Um, And then the house. So, so, you know, I ran, I ran the whole gauntlet and then the house church thing, you know, the cell groups. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, I I, I walked through all is that. And then I was, then it was Tim Keller and now it's Jordan Peterson. So I'm, I'm just a freaking meme following the current right along, but you see enough of this stuff and you see, and you begin to say, yeah, you know, there's something to that theater. It has its value. It has Mm -hmm. its value. Yeah. Just don't make it everything. And that's sort of what I look at. So then when the Catholics and the Orthodox, big C Catholics and big Orthodox come at me and, and I say, yeah, your tradition, it has its value. And, mm-hmm. and all of these things has have their value, but it's this dynamic of constant, constantly taking the gifts of God and turning them into idols right. is where it's like, no, nah, it's, it's, it's always Jesus alone. It's, yeah. it's, it's just, you can't, you can't get behind him. That was, so. I think the most potent thing about Pajot's speech was that whole part of idolatry, how he flipped the script or, or he, yeah. The, he flipped the idea of what, what idolatry is. And that's been so useful, man, to me. I've, I mean, you know, when you rerun things through that, um, yeah, you, that perspective. Yeah. yeah. And it's so true. So, all right. All right. Um, we, we've got little time and time left. I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to get into or anything you wanted to ask, because again, usually sort of the story takes, the story mm-hmm. takes center stage and then we go from there. Um, well, yeah, we talked about a lot. Um, well, I did wonder how long have you known Freddie? Was he part of your church for a... <laughs> Freddie was born and baptized as an infant in this church. Oh. <gasps> Really? How old is he now? Are you allowed to say? He probably wouldn't like me saying. um, Okay. But um, because he's older or younger than me. I don't know how old you are. I'll be 40 next month. He's older than you. Okay. Um, I can't really tell, you know. No, I know. And he likes it that way because he's (laughs) he's very much a kid at heart. And then um, the the older guy, the one, the singer. Oh, Dave. Dave. Dave's new. So Dave, I got to. Yeah, I got it. He he was a regular commenter on the Freddie and Paul show because uh, I do read the comments and I pay attention to uh-huh. account names. And so he was a regular commenter on the Freddie and Paul show when there weren't a lot of them. And um, his comments stuck out at me. And then one day um, he shows up at church. I didn't even know he lived in the area. And, um, and, a, and then he and Freddie have, have become friends. And so they go out to lunch together and, um, they remind me so much of my family. Like, I, I think that's why I even like love watching that is because I got my family's from Southern Illinois and it's, we consider it like very backward and like people yeah. would call them, you know, they just write them off. Like they're just worthless hillbillies or something. Yes. And I, like my uncle is a professional trapper. 
who, you know, he'd, he'd show, he loved it. Cause he thought I'm a city kid. I'm from, I wasn't from the city, but he thought I'm a yeah. city kid. He would love bringing me dead animals and stuff. And, um, couldn't understand a word he was saying talks yeah. like Boomhauser, you know, on, on uh, King of the Hill or whatever that guy's name is. Anyway. So like when I watch them, it's just like that feeling of like when you sit around the living room and like they're, they're playing music and they're talking and I don't know, I just like, I just love it. I love it so much. I can't even tell you. And like, well, I like if you visit, Liv- country, if you visit living stones, you can probably talk your way. If you, if you leave a comment, you can, if you leave comments on the Freddie and Paul show, you can probably get on the show. Otherwise Freddie's a little, someone comes in and you know, maybe if they bring a peace offering, um, but, uh, <laughs> but no. And, and the Freddie and Paul show, I mean that if, if someone looks at my channel and goes back through videos, you'll see that the, the Freddie and Paul show started before the whole Jordan Peterson thing. No, I know. I, I mean, well, I did the same thing with you, Paul. I, oh. <laughs> I binged all of your stuff too. So I didn't want to like, no, not like all of the stuff. I've, not all of it. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. I like it that way. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did. I saw, I saw the Freddie and Paul show. I just didn't know what was going on. Um, the same yeah, thing with Grim Grizz. I and I I understand I, it's good I guess it takes a while to understand Grim Grizz but I feel like like the first time I was on his video or like watching a live stream I commented were we supposed to drop acid before watching this or something like I feel like I feel like if you're watching you go into the movie theater and you didn't know it's a three it's a 3D movie and you need the glasses um so but but I still watch them because I think one day I might know what he's talking about. Yeah, well, he's like Peugeot in that. When I first started watching Peugeot, it was like, I it, it was I had to. It took a while to sort of okay, okay, and and I still have that. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll watch an old video, and I'll see, I'll see that I have been changing along with the conversation, mm-hmm. and so yeah, no, Grizz Grizz is a genius. He really is. He. But, you know, so one of my, Chad mentioned, I mentioned one of my older videos about, um, you know, simple Christians and sophisticated Christians. And that that is something that I learned very early on. I learned it from my father because my father's also a minister and um, his his memoir is available on Kindle. Um, yeah, Chad managed to get a hard it. copy, mm-hmm. which is, and it's a, it's a, I, if I ever get, if I ever get the time, I would like to edit his, I would like to edit his, um, his book because it could use some good editing because it's too mm-hmm. long, but he just wanted to, he just wanted to yeah. get all the stories and actually can only get the stories that are publicly presentable. So, um, <laughs> because he's got some, but I grew up, you know, I grew up with his stories and, you know, life in Patterson was, I mean, you had these African-Americans coming up from the South and Patterson, you know, if you listen to the hurricane, Bob Dylan's song about hurricane Carter, um, that was in Patterson about the same time I was growing up. And, and there's some, you know, there's, there's an angle to Dylan's song on there too, because life is always more complex, but I grew up knowing in church that there were saints around me that would never be known by the rest of the world. And so when, um, you know, when I, when I started doing the channel and Randall started coming up, part of the reason I wanted to share Randall's conversation on the channel was 
at least to a small degree, I want the world to know about some of these saints. And all of these saints are sinners. They're all sinners. And they've got sometimes huge, sometimes huge issues in their lives. And they can be moral issues. They can be doctrinal issues. They can be. But um, God has a way of working through things, which is really incredible. And you see this in, you know, this is part of what's fun about the mining that's going on in classical patristic and medieval period because you find some saints in there and and one of the one of the authors that best um that best sort of captured it was frederick beekner i loved uh have you ever read the book lion country Mm -mm. pick it up you'll love it um and that's it's part of it's a much bigger book of beb so beb is this character that he makes up that's running a diploma mill out of florida of course florida and um He's it may be there's suspicions of maybe a child molestation case against him because he's got to go to the edge. And then there's also rumors that he once um, raised someone from the dead. And so <laughs> Beekner puts both of these together and Lion Country is kind of the first book. A reporter hears about this and a reporter decides he's going to travel down to Florida to debunk and, and expose and pro- hopefully get this guy into jail. And the guy goes down to Florida and he is by no means prepared for what he finds. And he can't, he can't get his mind around Beb. Sounds like Javert and Jean Valjean. Yeah. But it's, (laughs) it's in Northern Florida, which of course in Florida, the more you go North, the more you go South. So, um, and, and so, and, and Beekner captures that and Beekner had a way of capturing you know, aspects of this. I think he also wrote uh, this book called Godric, which is a basically, this is long before I found Jordan Peterson or Peugeot or any mm-hmm. of this stuff. And I read that book, Godric. And again, it was a, it was trying to write, it's basically a person from our time trying to get his head around a, what a, the weirdness and wildness of a medieval saint. Right. And, and, and I think that, Part of the reason why part of the reason why we're seeing life, we're seeing new life in Christianity around characters like Peugeot and Martin Shaw and Paul Kings North and Jordan Peterson is and and, and John Verveke is because that wildness is re-emerging. And, you know, Justin Brierley as a journalist is kind of on the hunt for this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that wildness is re-emerging as the scaffolding that had sort of obscured it is crumbling and falling apart. So anyways. yeah, and I, I think too, uh, I don't know if it's because I'm very high in openness anyway, or if it's just my life experience, but it's like, even like, the guy who abused me when I was little, like being able to forgive a person like that, because I'm able to, for whatever reason, I'm able to see a person in all the complexity that is human existence. And, you know, when I look back in history and I know people like to like cancel people because of the things that now we're completely offended by. Um, 
And I feel like I've always just been able to see people in the context of where, where they were and where they are, yeah. you know? Yeah. And also because I know that my own inability to overcome things in my own life, there's, there's just a certain kind of humility, I think, that is required of us in dealing with each other. Because, yeah. like, is there hope for those people that, you know? Yeah. I sure hope, I sure hope so. And I hope that, you know, I think, I think too, we know in a sense that when we hear these stories of radical forgiveness, radical reconciliation, um, we're so moved by it. And we, we recognize it, that there's something deeply, profoundly good about it, whether or not we think that person deserves to be forgiven or whatever, like something within our entire body responds to that. And we think like, that is God, you know, um, and so, yeah, I think I'm right. I'm right there with you. And I think, uh, especially with Christians who uh, maybe they've like been raised in a very narrow sense of what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. I, I feel lucky because I think my exposure was right away. Youth with a mission was people from all over the world. Yeah, so yeah. I, I saw so many different views. Yeah. Um, when I was in Africa, I, my room had six different countries in it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that'll change you how you yeah. view people and what it, what each culture thinks is okay or not okay and you got to figure out how to live and together you know yeah no and i think that's one of the things that peterson got right when he said when you visit auschwitz if you're walking through that place saying it's terrible what those people did when you visit Aus- visit auschwitz you should say I'm capable of this. Mm-hmm. This isn't these these people aren't a different species from me. And so when we when we see these stories of radical forgiveness, we can begin to believe that that can reach even me. Mm. And 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 that's that that is that is so powerful. Have you read um Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place? Yeah. Uh, it would be a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I every now and then. Well, she's the one who met her. Met the. Yes. I mean, because the the story just unfolds. I've cried about, every time I've heard that story. Yeah. She, you mean as she tells the story, you just see how much she loved her sister and what a saint her sister is. It's almost an hagiography for about her sister, and then her sister is killed, and then she's you know, and and sort of a nice evangelical thing. She's on her mission about Europe, and then a guard responsible for her sister's humiliating death comes and is happy to receive this forgiveness that and 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 oh gosh every time i get to that point in the book it's just like yeah i can't i can't take it like would you well and so i mean not to keep going but like this is what i think i feel this urgency about is i feel like we are approaching something that will be so I mean, we have an election, we've got wars, we've got r- rumors of regional wars that could easily go into third, the, the World War Three. And I just think about, is the church, are we in a place where we're going to be able to look across at another human and, and see them as a human? Or are we yeah. going to de- dehumanize people by reducing them to their ideologies? Yeah. And are we going to treat people's ideologies as, um, as a license like that? They don't, they no longer deserve to live because yeah. they don't think right. Yeah. And I see a lot of that yeah. on both, on all sides. Yes. And it frightens me. And I think, well, the only cure for that is the actual gospel that I'm not sure that 
a lot of Christians uh, have heard. And I'm not, yeah, so... Yeah, heard heard is you know oh, this coming from a right preacher. <laughs> this coming from a preacher. Heard. Sorry, not the right word. <laughs> because hearing, I mean, it, it just gets into that whole question of you know what did Jesus know? Okay, talk to me about knowing because mm. you know part of what what John Verveke brought to it is well, there's four P's of knowing, and so suddenly, and and you realize that as a person, um, okay, do you do you know this? Well, what? I mean, in many ways, and Peterson was right, you don't know it until you act on it. And that's actually mm -hmm. faith. But right. again, it can't be reduced to believism. It's, yeah. it's so, and, and in that sense, again, it's, it, it comes down to God's grace to us and, um, yeah. and living yeah, in right. that giftedness. So anyway, anyway, um, I don't know where where is it time to land the plane or you got anything else you want to put out there? I, I mean, I think I, I think I covered it. Okay. I just I'm so appreciative of what you do and I don't want to be like stroking your ego or whatever, but I just don't know if you and I'm sure you do to some degree. You probably hear it a lot like just your presence, the fact that you even exist out there um just means so much to so many people and I know people I've heard it said so many times like how patient you are with people. <laughs> And I can tell how much you love people and uh, yeah. And just thank you for even like responding to my comments and letting me harass you because I harass you, <laughs> but you know what? I've been able to like leave the, leave my church leaders alone. I told them, I was like, Oh, I found, I found somebody else to bug. You, you can harass me. Yeah. Be yeah. gentle, be gentle on those poor church leaders. They have a big church to try to, they have, I, they have a, they have a big, and, they have big edifice to maintain. As, um, as do you, but um, I've, I've joked with people too. I'm like, in so many ways, I was like, PVK has been a, like so much of a pastor to me. Like you just have no, you just have no idea, okay. but I just deeply appreciate you. Well, I thank you. I appreciate it. It's, we will see where, we will see where this whole thing goes. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for All it. Right. All oh, right. One more thing. One more yes. thing. And also Thank you, because I know as much as people would love for you to like weigh in on political stuff, like I the day that you do that, whether it's something I agree with, I, even if you were agreeing with me, I would be disappointed. You know what I mean? I know. And I know. <laughs> well, I saw, you know, I just saw that Preston Sprinkle seems to be uh, talking about the question of I think it's ideological capture mm -hmm. and political capture. It's it's a difficult thing because, you know, and I tried to talk about it in terms of Religion is dollars and politics is sense. And the reason that I talk that way is because we never fully escape the political, but we have to relativize it. We have to we have to make sure when we're talking politics, we're talking pocket change. Right. And, and that's why I got so mad at Peterson. You know what yeah. I mean? I wanted him to not do that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I can. It's yeah. it's also different as. Because we don't, we also don't want people, we also don't want Christians to not go into politics. Mm -hmm. um, we can't go that way. So that, like many other things, is is just. It's I mean, fraught. you talked about you talked about the chaos and order line. There are many such lines in life, and that business with politics is one of them. And I think, but but again, yeah. I think you have to. The best guide to this is Jesus, hmm. because if you read the Gospels understanding the 
the political culture war that Jesus was enmeshed in. Mm. And then you look at you look at how he tried to walk through that minefield. I think that I think Jesus is showing us how to do it. Yeah. But you also have to remember that if you really do it like Jesus, they may very well kill you because that is exactly <laughs> how the watch, story goes. Did you watch The Chosen? No. I um, have a real hard time watching on-screen portrayals of Jesus. Okay, me too. I watched it on accident, let me tell you that. I After my dad died, I couldn't sleep. And I'd heard people talking about it. I thought it was some kind of a weird um, dystopian show. Well, so usually I listen to podcasts to fall asleep, but my brain was so loud. Yeah. I could hear my brain over it. So I thought I need yeah. something visual. Just turned it on. And now, like in the opening scene, I was like, is this about Jesus? And I, at first my thought was like, I do not want to see a show about Jesus, but I couldn't stop watching it. It's one of the best. You've probably heard this, but. Yeah, people love the it. People portrayal love it. Of Jesus. What I was going to say is that something that they did so well was really give you that sense of what was going on politically and all these different things like on paper make only so much sense but you see them playing out with the centurions and what that would have looked like and also like in his within his disciples that you had like a zealot and a tax collector and you know they had to be having like raging conversations they don't mention any of that right and that always fascinates me um yeah. And I, I mean, I think, I think you're right. And I think too, that, you know, I was talking to this young Ukrainian guy the other day that was at, that yeah. was at my food trailer. And he was talking about when people start trying to get involved in a war stuff, he yeah. said, by the time you're at war, he said, that train is so freighted and it's been coming from down here. It's barreling. It's got so much momentum. You're going to step in front of a train and you're going to get hit by it. Yeah. And also I wondered, is that where the word fraught comes from? Is it freighted? Oh, I don't know. It could be. I don't know. All of a sudden that I was like, freighted, fraught. they sound right. They sound like they should be. The same. Yeah. They sound like, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's true. These situations are so freighted. They are, they're carrying such a load that it doesn't even make sense to try to stand and stand in front of and the scary thing about the ukraine situation is it wasn't that long ago although you know the the the, the situation within the the soviet union and those countries i mean the world is just so complex and we, we the truth is to look at it from the outside we know so little about it that that i think should sort of help us also have a bit of humility about these conflicts around the world that we know to a degree the resolution around our own conflicts with people who are very much like us, you know, <laughs> you know, even in a marriage. I mean, talk yeah. about a. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even fix my problems with my husband. How I'm going to go fix the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a little bit of humility is in order, um, yeah. and also one of the things that I, you know, even with my own denomination and the and the struggles there. I, I don't need to, I mean, there are times when I have to say vote on something at a mm-hmm. at a synod or a classis. Okay. Well then I've got to vote. And I guess for national elections, I gotta to vote too. But you know, 
we can hold our things a little bit lightly and we can listen to each other when someone comes and says, yeah, but have you thought about this? And usually the answer is no, I haven't. And that's a good point. So I'll throw that into the hopper too. And it'll all be in that big soup. And then someone comes on Twitter and was like, choose now. It's like, <laughs> well, and I feel like also like the more I understand about stuff, the more I realize how very little control I have over absolutely anything that even yeah. if we were all to like vote in one direction, like yeah. there yeah. are all these like power plays happening. Like I had sent you a video and I'm, I won't like go over it, but it was, that was another one of those examples of there could be like one little piece of a puzzle that someone hands you. And suddenly you're like, I've got to redo this whole thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then it comes back to Jordan Peterson and the 12, 12 rules for life. I mean, yeah. getting your own room in order and yeah. that's hard enough, but if enough people are learning to do the hard, the hard work of that and learning how to practice the way back to the John Mark Comer stuff, I don't know. That's where I'm trying to just focus my. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause that's, that's actually, it's, <laughs> it's in your life with your husband, your children, your church, your coworkers, your customers, there, there's, there's where the, there's where the rubber hits the road. Yep. And can you, I, I've, I haven't done the video yet because there's been so many other things I've wanted to make videos about. Because I'm taking up your time. No, no, no. You gotta, you gotta balance. You gotta do, you gotta do all these, you gotta keep all these stuff balanced. But um, the introduction, the, the first chapter of G.K. Chesterton's biography of St. Francis. Um, I'm not sure where was I going with that? it's he his comment about saint francis was basically you know he didn't dostoevsky makes the same comment you know dostoevsky points out that people love humanity but hate people that's the woman the woman who's confessing to the priest yeah and she's saying like she's afraid though that she'll basically resent them for not being appreciative enough of her and then that she was actually trying to ingratiate herself to the priest by even confessing that. And there's like five different layers right there. Yep. And I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yep. about. And, 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 and that first of all, it, you have to loving the people around have to take priority, especially if you say you're a humanist <laughs> and, and then, and then figuring out if you can do both. And to the degree that you can do both, that's that's really where it's at. And that's, that's again, where Jesus is so powerful because he both manages to love the people around him and also all of us mm. at the same time. So, and I know I just got... Some people with some of the reform doctrine just I set off alarm bells because I've got those people in my head too. So we're not going to go any of those places. But um, and I know Luke Thompson is out there cheering somewhere, and he will be. So um, anyway, no, he, he's interesting. Oh, Luke is very interesting. He, he knows all like the doctrinal stuff, and it's like I've never paid attention to a whole lot of that because I was more interested in like getting my shit together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, and that and that to me, someone just put out. I just I just posted it on Twitter. It was actually, he goes by the the Discord name Charlie Brown. Um, um, Stefan. I met him when I was in Germany last fall, and um, really cool guy. Really, so got to spend a little bit of time with him in Germany. Really, he just made a little documentary, kind of 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 the corner. And again, the reason 
the the cool thing about the corner is not watching videos. The cool thing about the corner is being able to make a few friends and being able to know some people like Luke and Sam and Grizz and Chad and you know that's that's the cool thing about the corner which again I did not I did not sit there I was so smart that I could design this no not at all and just well you know I I envision it like you know you talk about the hallway which is a that's like a analogy that I've used for a while too and it's like you know I peeked into a room and I saw this dude telling interesting stories around a fire and then you know a couple of, that's kind of like and then I, I'm warming myself by that fire and I have that imagery in my mind. When I come into the corner, it's like, it's a source of honestly very real joy. I feel comforted. I feel like, I feel like I, these are my people, even though I don't know any of them, you know what I mean? Good. In like real country, by the way, I, Saturday morning, I'll be like, I'm like walking around the store and I'm, I'll be like just tearing up crying because of these poems that they're reading or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I don't know, just lovely people. Lovely so, people. All right, we're going to land the plane. I'm done. Food truck Emily. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you thank you for thanking for thank you for sharing yourself. Um you know, because you are a worship leader, you already do this to a great degree. Mm-hmm. But um I they don't let you talk, so I'm I'm glad we got a chance well, they probably talk. know I talk a lot. That's probably it. <laughs> yeah, and and you know those mega church services—they're on a clock. You get this song has to be three and a half minutes, no more, and then bing, 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 bing. Oh yeah. So anyway, yep. all right, Emily, take Great care. Seeing you in person. <laughs> all right, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.